Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Chapter 2, verses 5 to 18. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified... What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. But the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am, and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. But surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Good afternoon, church. That's a terrible good afternoon. Good afternoon, church. There we go, much better. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. Guys, in in a world that's enjoyed a a technological boom in the 21st century, that's transformed <clears throat> almost everything we do, from finance to communication to sport, even to brushing our teeth. There's one thing that we cannot face, that we can't contain, and we cannot overcome. Does anybody know what it is? Oh, amen. Who said that? Well done. Amazing. Death. Or the fear of death. We've got a really big problem with death. We've got a really big problem with the fear of death. And, and for anybody, if this is your first Sunday here, then please know we do not start all our talks on death. But to make things a little lighter, there's two things constant in life, death and... Taxes. Amen, come on. <laughs> death and taxes. So we have a monumental problem that we can't solve. Guys, billions are spent on health care to prolong life, endless supplies of beauty products to cover the lines, hide the wrinkles, remove the blemishes. But we've still got an inherent problem that we simply and seemingly cannot do anything about. And so over 1900 years ago, there, there was the same problem with, with a people with the same struggles and the same fears, but there was 
there was a book written that would prescribe an answer to these fears. You know, last week we started our, our sermon series on, on the book of Hebrews, and, and Dustin was speaking. And essentially our, our um, title, our motto, so to speak, is Jesus is better. And Dustin introduced the series, and, and, and so this book, Hebrews, is written in the form of a sermon. So it's a, an incredibly long sermon at a time when these first century and first generation Christians were struggling with persecution. So Hebrews was written to a people who were struggling with persecution. So the persecution wasn't yet physical. It hadn't actually escalated to the the point of shedding blood. But nevertheless, these Christians are persecuted for their faith, for their beliefs, for their lifestyle. So in a sense, it wasn't all that different from our Western world. And so there's a few different groups claiming that their way is the right way. You have the Jews in Judaism that, that are claiming that Yahweh is Lord. And over here, you've got the Roman Empire that's saying Caesar is Lord. And then you've got the, the Christians, and you've Christianity saying, yes, Yahweh is God, but Jesus is Lord. And so as a result, it forces Christianity out. The, the Romans don't want to have anything to do with the Christians. The Jews don't want to have anything to do with the Christians. So, so really, Christianity and these new Christians are being persecuted, persecuted by the Jews, persecuted by the Romans, rejected by both. So therefore, the new believers are tempted to go back to their old ways, tempted to fall by the wayside, tempted to stop following Jesus. And it's that, I can't win illustration. I I can't win with these guys. I can't win with these guys. No matter what I do, I can't please anybody. So therefore, I'm tempted to go back. I'm tempted to go back. So how do you respond? How do you respond to this? If you're able, will you stand with me as I pray? Jesus, in the next 20 minutes, I pray that you would would come through your Holy Spirit and and speak into our hearts in a way that only you can. And if there is anything that's said that that is not of you, then may may it fall by the wayside, but may what you say transform hearts today. In your name, Jesus, amen. 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 So a final word for a finished work. Jesus is better. You know, the hard warning that Dustin finished with last Sunday actually becomes heartwarming today when we have a champion brother, Jesus. So therefore, don't hold fast. Or therefore, hold fast. Don't go back. Christ is our champion. Christ is our brother. And Christ is our priest. Guys, if there's any encouragement to avoid going back, then it's this. God entered humanity in the person of Jesus made possible through his life, death, and resurrection, a way for the relationship between God and humanity to be restored. So last week, Dustin appealed to to Christ's deity, appealing to Christ's deity. We're we're saying that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Lord of the universe. And so this week, I want to appeal to Christ's humanity, believing that Christ is our champion, Christ is our brother, and Christ is our priest. So Christ is our champion. You know, after this hard warning against drifting away or turning back, the writer turns to quote Psalm 8. If you look, uh, look at your sheet or in the Bible at verses 6 to 8, it says, but there is a place where someone has testified. I'm pretty sure the, the writer knows exactly where. Because he says, what is mankind that you're mindful of him, a son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. It's a pretty amazing statement. God made the world for you and I. God made the world for all of us. Everything was to be under our control. You were supposed to be the vice regents to oversee all of creation. You were God's highest created order. 
And we don't actually think of ourselves as higher than angels, but that is how it was created. So then, do we see all of creation subject to man? Are we in control of it? Are we on top of all things? No chance. Absolutely not. We only have to look around us. We see death, we see disease, we see decay. We only have to look around at the chaos of this coronavirus, COVID-19. We only have to look around at the stock markets plummeting, at at the shops being emptied emptied of hand sanitizer in Australia and America being emptied of toilet roll. Humanity has become people of panic. And so instinctively, within each of us, we know we're meant to be on top of the world. We know we're meant to be able to control the world. We know we're able to, to, uh, to subdue the world. Exercise control, exercise authority over the world, but yet we're not even close. Evolution says we're an accident. Evolution says there isn't a problem with the chaos and the suffering of the world. It's all part of nature playing out. It's a survival of the fittest. But yet, inside, inherently, we know something is wrong. And so this creates, for us, one of the biggest apologetic problems. If all this is happening, then where is God? Why does God allow this? Will you look at me, or look at this? Look at verse 9. Don't look at me. Look at verse 9. But we do see Jesus. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Christ knew that it was a humanity that was marked by frustration. Mankind isn't what he intended it to be. Steve's call to worship in in Psalm 8 shows God's original design. And that original design is an echo of Genesis 1, 28, where, where God was saying to Adam and Eve, go, multiply, subdue all of creation. You are in control of it. I'm giving creation to you. But yet it isn't the mankind that we see now. So it's only in Christ do we see humanity as it can be, and it's only through Christ's work that we will see, it, see what it will be. He had to take our nature and become like us, but without those sinful and rebellious characteristics which actually mar our nature. So last week, Dustin shared that Christ and God are one, illuminating Christ's deity, that he's better than the angels, he's supreme, but yet the writer in chapter 2 here today begins to shift his focus away from Christ's deity onto Christ's humanity. Jesus is our champion because he stooped so low. He stooped so low entering humanity as a helpless human. As a baby, he needed his nappy changed if he had a nappy. He needed fed. He's so vulnerable, so dependent, yet Jesus lived the life we should have lived, dying the death we should have, plundering hell and was raised again. Amen. Amen. Jesus tasted death for everyone that we wouldn't have to. If you look on the screen, this is a passage from Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. And and Paul is saying, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And look look at the stoop. You're going to see a stoop. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. But it doesn't end there. Jesus has stooped so low entering humanity and it does not end there. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, 
that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's incredible. We see such a stoop, but then we see such a rise. If anyone hears in the mathematics, it's called a parabola. Amen? Amen. Jesus is better because he entered humanity as one of us. And he's won the ultimate victory through the cross. Jesus was one of us. I there's many of us that's come to, to a, new, a new town, a new city, a new culture. And you know, I, I find people don't really take you serious unless they know that you're one of us. Unless they know that you're one of us. Remember, the Hebrew Christians were tempted to give way under the pressure of their fellow Jews. Tempted to turn back to their old ritualistic religion that Jesus had effectively superseded and freed them from. And so today we can only escape spiritual death because Christ died. The only offering that could satisfy a righteous God was the offering of a righteous life. And that life's not my life, that's Jesus. Only Jesus could do that by becoming one of us for us. You look in verse 10, it says, and bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. One of my old mentors and heroes in the northwest of Ireland was a church planter. And he helped revolutionize church planting in Donegal. And he says, his name's Clive. And he says, he's getting old now. And he's beginning to forget things. And he's got a wealth of biblical knowledge that I would love to tap into. And he says, I am not too fond of death, but I'm not afraid of dying. He's not too fond because he knows it's coming. And he saw the destruction of death throughout his 70 odd years. But he's not afraid of dying because there's one that has went before him to pave the way so that he can have access to God. The very fact that Jesus endured suffering and temptation is the one thing that guarantees our victory over it. If Jesus had come to the world but not suffered at Calvary, we wouldn't be any better for it. He would have left commands we couldn't keep. He would have left an example we couldn't follow. And there would be no atonement for our sin. There would be no covering for our sin. So we'd still be dead in our sin. But Christ is our champion, the one who has endured and overcome temptation, gaining victory in his resurrection. So why turn back? Why turn back? Jesus is better than the Hebraic law. And so perhaps there's areas in your life today where Christ isn't the champion and you're tempted to turn back. Perhaps you're religious. You're making sure to say the right things, to turn up at the right events, to make sure to be seen as, as good living, all the while not cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus. You're doing everything great on the outside, but the inside there's absolutely nothing. Or maybe you don't see the need for Christ in the sense that you've got it worked out already. You've, you've got a job, you've got stable accommodation in a crazy city. You've, you've got friends, you've got all the comforts you'd ever need. Uh, you're, you're part of the church because it's a fun community. It's nice to be in. There's people that care for you. And it gives you some sort of security. And really there's nothing you need rescued from. So perhaps you're religious or maybe you don't see the need for Christ. But for the Jewish Christians, Jesus was better because only his sacrifice was adequate to forgive all the offenses against God, and yet it's no different today. Why try to earn your way to God, to work your way to him, to fall into a trap of good works? Jesus is our champion. He is better, so don't turn back. So Christ is our champion, and Christ is our brother. I don't know anybody here that's maybe thought that Christ is their brother before. I rarely think that. I think I need to think more about that. Mm. 
The Jewish Christians who'd received us had to face taunts and more taunts from their, from their fellow friends and their relatives. Remember, Jesus had suffered death. He'd been seemingly defeated. Jesus was a loser, a failure, a man whom God had rejected. Imagine this, this man that's come and said he was a Messiah. He was the one that's going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. But yet there he is, he's on the cross. He's, he's suffered humiliation. He's suffered defeat. A full generation hadn't even passed. Maybe 30 to 50 years had passed. It's tempting for the first readers to think and feel ashamed of Jesus and to ask themselves, surely God could have achieved this in a different way. Surely God could have achieved his purposes in some other way. In the, in the sense that crucifixion wasn't necessary. Was it really necessary to go through all that? It was so shameful, utterly degrading to be crucified. It was the lowest of the low. It was the worst of the worst. But look at verse 11. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers or sisters. Maybe you've got a family member or an extended family member that you know if you turn up to a party, you're thinking like, oh goodness, what are they going to say? You're kind of ashamed of them. They're awkward. I sincerely hope they don't put their foot on it. Sincerely hope that, that they, they don't go and do what they did at the last one. And if you don't have that in your family, it might well be you. <laughs> <laughs> but if there was ever a family member to be ashamed of, you were that family member that Jesus sh should have been ashamed of. If there was ever a family member to be ashamed of, you were that family member that, that, that Jesus could be and should be ashamed of. But no, Jesus would say, that's my brother or that's my sister. Jesus isn't ashamed to call them as brothers and sisters. Jesus is our champion, but he's also our brother. And so for a king or a champion to establish their rule, they would publish their genealogy. This is where I came from. This is who I am. I'm of this royal line. I've got royal blood. And in, in, in Matthew 1, Jesus' genealogy is established. And so if you've, got, if you've got somebody dodgy in your heritage, you'd really want to keep them out of it. You, you want to just shoo them out, maybe put somebody else in instead. And if you know Jesus' genealogy, it's really bizarre. If you know what you're looking for, you've got Rahab. Uh, you've got a gen Gentile prostitute. You've got a girl who is raped by her uncle. You've got David's Ill illegitimate son. Jesus' genealogy is full of questionable people in some horrific circumstances. But he's not afraid and he's not ashamed to call them sons and daughters. Yet Jesus saying to Mary in the garden, go tell my brothers and sisters. Guys, Jesus' brothers and sisters had already left him in his hour of need. When he was on the cross, they abandoned him. The disciples were, went back to their old way. They went back to their fishing nets. They went back to their old jobs. They abandoned them. But yet Jesus to Mary in the garden says, go tell my brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. Wow. He wasn't ashamed to own them and he wasn't ashamed to know them and he's not ashamed to know you. Amen. My father was on a, a funeral line and, and if anyone's been to Irish funerals before, after the service, they go to bury the body and the family stand at the graveside while the wind and rain is pelting down and all the people line up. See, maybe you have two, three hundred people, four hundred people lining up to shake hands and, and give commiserations and, and small talk before you go back to the, the, the hall for tea and coffee. And my father was on the line, and standing on the line, his friend was in front of him. 
And as they got closer and got to the, the lady who had just lost her son, the man in front of my dad said, uh, I'm, I'm really sorry to, to hear the loss of your son. I, I know what it's like. I know what it's like. This man hadn't a clue what it was like. He never lost a son. He'd never lost a close family member. He gave a nice platitude. I'm so sorry to hear of your loss. I know what it's like. We say that, don't we, from time to time? I know, I know what it's like. I know what you're going through. When really we haven't a clue what we're going through or what they're going through. My dad stepped up then and, and, and he had a lump in his throat and, and he, he shook his head and he says, I have no idea what you're going through. No idea. How could that man really know? How can he know that he have any idea since he never lost a son? And this is why Jesus is the only suitable mediator between God and mankind. Jesus wasn't an angel and, and out there being. He became human. He was, he was no alien to death and decay. He was no outsider. He was the one that shared in our humanity. He's the one who can sympathize with us. Jesus is our big brother because he can sympathize with us. He has been there. He has walked the walk. He suffered gossip and slander. He endured suffering for righteousness' sake. He was shamed publicly. He endured periods of hunger. He received criticism of his ministry. His theology was mocked. His message was rejected. His preaching was critiqued. The disciples didn't get it again and again. He endured complete and utter separation from God so that you never, ever, ever have to. Today, Jesus is our brother because he is able to sympathize in our weakness. He is the one who has gone before us. You know, we're going to get to Hebrews 12, and it's incredible, and it says that he has gone before us and during the cross, scorning at shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And the right hand signifies completion, a finished work. And so this book is a, is a, a final word for a finished work. Jesus is better, so don't turn back. If there was ever somebody who can sympathize with where the persecuted Christians were, it was him. And if there's someone that can sympathize with where you're at today, it is Jesus. He was the one who was tempted to turn back. Jesus at Gethsemane pleaded with the Father, Father, if there's any other way, then take this cup from me. And he doesn't finish there. He says, yet not my will, but yours. And this is what's happening with the Hebrews. They want to be taken out of persecution. Jesus wants to take them through it. Even though it's only mild and it'll get harder, he doesn't want to spare them from it, but he wants to take them through it. One of the ways he comforts us is to take us through it to show us that the Son has already been through it and he'll be there for us. They want to be taken out of something, but God wants to take them through something. Yes, Jesus is our Lord and he's our Savior, but he's also our brother because he is able to sympathize in our weakness. I want to challenge you. How do you see Jesus? Is he a good moral, a good moral being? Is he a radical teacher? Is he somebody who acted over 2,000 years ago and feels really distant to you today? But surely the incarnation of the Son of God and what he went through is comforting to the human heart. Mm. The next time you hear another brother or sister in Christ saying, but you don't understand what I'm going through. Well, the good thing is for us, we don't necessarily need to understand. And we don't need to identify with what the person is going through in order to help them. Why? Because Jesus does. Jesus understands. If you've been hurt, or, or in the past, or if you've been wounded uh, by some insecurity or some in insensitivity, then there's hope. You can take it to Jesus. He is gentle and he is willing. He is sympathetic and he is understanding. He is first-hand experience. And so maybe some of you need to know Jesus as a big brother 
the one who understands. Jesus is our champion, he's our brother, and he is our priest. Will you look at verses 17 and 18? For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Well, if there's ever a verse or two that you, you want to recite and remember, it is that. Thirdly, Christ is our priest. Only in the book of Hebrews is the title of high priest given to Jesus. Jesus' ministry was one of mediation. It was a go-between between humanity and God. He is a priest who can help. A priest is someone who you, who you go to when you've messed up. In the, in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, that the high priest once a year went to the most holy place, this kind of uh, thing over here, went to the most holy place in the tabernacle. So the tabernacle is where God's presence dwelled. It was the building. God's presence dwelled in the building under the Old Covenant. And within the building, you've got the most holy place, a room in which the, the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence resided. And once a year, the high priest entered this most holy place. Rumor had it that he went in with a rope around his, his leg and a, be, and a bell on him in case he died in the presence of God. The bell would go off and people would slive him out. That's not in the Bible. That's just a rumor. <laughs> the most holy place is a place where God's presence dwelled. And the high priest enters that place to make atonement for the sins once a year for the sins of all the people. This day is known as Yom Kippur. It is a day when the high priest sacrificed before God to make a covering for the sins of the people. It was to make a covering. So, oh, so the sins of the people were covered. You couldn't see it. Still there, but you couldn't see it. But it's so that they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be punished by God. It was a covering, so the punishment would, would, would no longer be applied. And now the writer is saying, Jesus is your faithful and merciful high priest. He's the only mediator necessary between humanity and God. In his ministry as high priest, he made atonement for the sins of humanity through his own death on the cross. His death not only covered the sins of the people, but actually entirely wiped them out, washed them clean. Jesus took God's wrath upon himself so that, so that we didn't have to. Back in the day before iPads and paper, you had slates. After school finished, you went and wiped it off. I'm not old enough to know that, but, but maybe you could chat to Steve or Leanne. They might. <laughs> At the end of the school day, you wipe off the slate, and whenever you, you spit on it and wipe it off, you can still kind of see the, the white markings there. Under the old covenant, you, you'd, you would kind of wipe off the slate at that day of atonement. And you couldn't see the marking, but you could kind of see, you know that there's been chalk there, but you kind of can't see it. Jesus' death and resurrection on that cross is actually you snapping that slate in half and throwing it away. There's no more slate. Jesus' death didn't just cover our sins. He actually became our sins so we in him can become the righteousness of God. Jesus sacrifices once for all, meaning no further sacrifice is necessary. The old system is done away with. We don't need a priest any longer. We have Jesus, the one who's made a way for us to be in communion with God. And so as a result, we can now come with confidence before God because Jesus has already paid the penalty, defeated death by rising again and ascending to the Father and is seated at the Father's right hand 
The work is finished, the victory is won. The Hebrews simply needed to put their trust in Jesus rather than the old structures. And so for you and I today, what are some of the structures that we are tempted to fall back on? Some of the structures we're tempted to go back to, putting our trust in our career perhaps, enough money, enough work, and that'll see me through. Maybe throwing herself into another relationship to try and plug the sense of loss. Jesus is better, a faithful and merciful high priest because he brings us assurance that we can come boldly before the Father as accepted and made new people. Church, when we're tempted to fall back, tempted to return to sin, let's remember this, that because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who have been tempted. When we're tempted to throw the towel in, we can approach temptation with a new confidence because the one that's gone before us and met the same temptation at every point has emerged from the trial victorious. How gracious has God been? So as I close, I want to take a couple of moments and issue a couple of reflections. What is it today that's making you want to throw the towel in? Will you stand with me? What is it that's making you want to throw in the towel? What is it you're tempted to go back to? What is it that you want to be taken out of, but God wants to take you through it? Because of Christ's humanity as a champion, brother, and priest, how will you respond? Going back into sin is giving up the life that Jesus has purchased by his blood. He is better. He's our champion who's overcome death. He's our brother who sympathizes with us. He is our priest who gives assurance of life and life after death. Death and the fear of death, the one thing that humanity could never overcome, the panic of disease, the fear of what was to come. Jesus has overcome and he's calling you today not to turn back, but to put your hope in him. Jesus, we want to put our trust in you. We stand upon your promises today. We stand upon your finished work. And we look at you as a brother, knowing that you have entered humanity for us. And so Jesus, now we're going to come and respond in thanksgiving for who you are and for what you've done. Amen. Amen.